<laughs> Thank you very much. My name is Johnson, and I am an alcoholic. <clears throat> I uh, thank the committee for asking Finney. It's, it's always an honor and a privilege to speak to a bunch of derelicts and bums and ne'er-do-wells. I fit right in, you know, and, and I, I want to thank you. Cindy and I want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for <clears throat> sending us a, a real guy to pick us up at the airport. Uh, <laughs> Craig, Craig was standing, standing there with a, was it way, it was way bigger than this. It was probably about four times the size. <clears throat> Big old deal. Wild, Rough River Conference. Wow. Scott, you know. <laughs> I said, I bet that's him. <laughs> and we, <laughs> And we got in the car, and I learned more about Craig than I really. But, but, but I kind of got the idea that he he might be pleased with his sobriety here the last year, and, and that makes that makes two of us. I'm pleased with mine too, and I wouldn't trade this for anything. It's if you're if you're new here and you're kind of if you're like me when I was new and you're wondering about what if this thing's ever going to work for you, I got uh, <laughs> yeah yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, no, I really appreciate you folks asking us to come here. This, you know, Cindy and I, we tried to kill each other. We, we, the gifts that we have received for a while. He, we put a little conference on up there in Montana. <clears throat> can, can you turn the mics up? I'll try. Raise the mics, okay. In our group, if you touch the mics, they get after you. But which one's there? That's the one. Well, they're both loud or working, so I... Um, we put a little conference on up there in Montana. It's called the Beartooth Mountain Conference, and Bo was up there a few years ago, and we got to, got to meet him, and his family came uh, years later. If you ever get the chance to come up there, do. We'd be glad to pick you out there. And I've got to tell you, it is rustic compared to this place. This place is plush. Uh, <coughs> but the scenery is fantastic out there, and, and uh, if you don't mind sleeping in a hammock for about two nights and eating kid food, it's all right. I, uh, I was raised in... A, Central, South Central Montana, on a on a ranch, uh, and uh, everybody I was raised around seemed to always talk about drinking when they got to town, and and uh, I just thought that was a thing. My my dad, he didn't drink much when I was a kid. He 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 learned how to drink scotch later. I asked him how how he could drink that scotch. He says it just takes lots of practice, you know. <clears throat> and I kind of got into practicing there, but I, I I was a natural. I I didn't have to work too hard. If I, I can remember the very first time I had anything to drink. At least I think it's the first time. You know, I'm a blackout drinker, so most of my story is hearsay. And I and I can remember the first time, the first time that I remember drinking. We were moving some cattle down the Powder River, and the Powder River got its name because it's just as muddy as can be, and there's no anywhere. And a guy come by in an old pickup, and he had a camper, or had a uh, camper, and then he had a cooler in the back of that camp. But now this is a long time ago, and the coolers are not like they are now, so the beer was hot. And I can remember drinking that beer. Did not, I could not for the life of me think why them cowboys liked that beer, because it, it was bad. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and, I, and I thought, well, shoot, that's not what I want. I don't want that. But I got into high school. By the time I got to high school, and I, I had a little bit of that stuff, I remember the first night I got drunk, just like yesterday, and... and uh, I, I had the time of my life. I mean, I, I learned how to dance that night. I wrecked my mother's car. I got in a fight with my best friend. I got in another fight. She won. I mean, <clears throat> uh, I mean, it's just, everything was just 
fast and it was active and things were wild and woolly and I just loved it, you know. And and I am I am a social misfit. I really am. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that if I'm if I'm sober, it's like I have a tremendously difficult time communicating with people. And I can remember I can remember we'd go to these school dances and the girls would be on one side and the guys would be on the other side and it'd just take everything I had to finally get up enough courage to walk across that room and ask a girl to dance and she'd say no. And I just, you know, it's like, shoot, I might as well go commit suicide or something, you know. And, and uh, I can remember that, me having that few drinks that night, and I remember walking across that floor, and I asked that gal to dance, and she said no. I just kind of felt sorry for her, you know. And a few, <laughs> a few minutes later, I'm dancing with one or two girls that, like, it never slowed me down a bit. And I, I began to realize that alcohol was doing for me what I could not do for myself. However, I did not know that was going on until years later when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous. People would say every once in a while, John, you really shouldn't drink that much. You know, and I, uh, I didn't really, you know, it's like they were kind of, I always, I got this deal between my ears. It's, I always call it the secret weapon. And it's this ability to know things that isn't true, but I love to believe it. And, and, I, can re- and I can remember, uh, let me, I'll tell you a story. It's kind of out of context, but I'll tell you a story anyway about a banker friend of mine who, uh, <clears throat> me and this other guy, we was buying some hay one day. And the idea to buy hay the way I was doing it at that time, I was running a feedlot there in south and central Montana. And, and the idea of buying hay is I'd buy a fifth, he'd buy a fifth, and we'd get in the pickup and we'd just drive around and we'd kind of look at hay. You know, and then later we'd call the people. But right now we're just looking at hay and checking the quality out. You know, sometimes we'd actually stop. <clears throat> but usually we just kept driving along and drinking this whiskey and stuff. And we've been doing that most of the afternoon. And I drank in one or two places. I drank also in the keg bar of the Northern Hotel. The Northern Hotel was a pretty fancy place where all the bankers and the lawyers and the ranchers and the farmers and these professional people went and drank. And then the keg bar was on the other side of town. And it was where the bikers and the truck drivers and the wannabes and the has-beens and all those guys drank. And I felt very comfortable either place. Fact is, I'd usually start in the northern and end up over at the keg. One day, Cindy says, what are we doing at the keg? And she was always against me and my friends, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I just couldn't believe that she, you know, that she was that picky. But uh, anyway, this day, my, my friend and I, was, we'd been out chasing hay and we got to the Northern Hotel that night, and we both uh, we were both banking at the same place. And this new banker happened to be there. I never met him before, never met this guy before in my entire life. And my my friend says, "There's our new." And so we sent him a drink, you know, to be kind. And and uh, nothing. I mean, no, hello, no, thank you, no drink coming back. And I got this, like I said, I got this secret weapon, and I began to realize what was happening. I was going to go through foreclosure shortly, and, and uh, I, was, I was probably going to lose my farm. And so a few minutes later, we sent him another drink. Nothing. Now I'm sure I'm going to have to probably leave the country, end up divorcing my wife, can't provide a living for my family. You know, it's just all these things. and My mind just starts going with these ideas. And... <clears throat> You know, we sent him a third drink and still nothing happened. And over a period of about, about three hours he, after he got through visiting who he was visiting with, he came over to the place where we was at, and almost immediately he and I got into this fight over sheep about how do you take care of sheep, how do you handle sheep, you know, what you, how you take care of their health and all this, how you dock them and all this kind of stuff. i got to tell you, I, I don't know nothing about sheep. <laughs> I mean, I, I ran cattle all my life. But I don't, I, I've never done anything with sheep. I don't know nothing about them. But I have this mind that tells me if I have a few drinks, 
that I can tell you how to do things that I've never ever done before in my entire life and make you understand that I know what I'm talking about. I don't know if any, I, I know you have that ability. <laughs> you know, and I used to think, you know, I was really getting them. You know, I used to think they was beginning to believe me, but what they'd finally do is after a while, they'd just understand that it didn't matter what they said, I was just going to keep yakking, and they'd finally start going like this. And then I thought I'd have them. But the truth of the matter is they're just trying to get out of the situation. My friend who was with me that day buying the hay, he says, let's get out of here. I want to take you and the new banker. We'll go out and eat. Let's get out of here. He's trying to get me out of this jam I was in. And I didn't, you know, how I am. I don't even know I'm in a jam yet, you know. So I, and, and, uh, so we got in this guy's car, and me and the banker's in the back seat. And I don't know about you guys, but when I have a few too many, I just get tired. And I just decided to just lay down. And I just laid down went to sleep in this banker's lap. Now, that's how you really impress a brand new banker. And, and this is even before I got into AA. And I remember the next morning I, I walked into that bank and I, I apologized to him. I says, you know, I, I got a little out of hand last night. And I, if I hurt your feelings or anything, I, I really do apologize. Because I needed the money, you know. And, 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 uh, and he says, oh, that's no big deal. About six months later, I was in AA. And about six months after that, I'm in the night, and in comes the banker. <laughs> I said, what are you doing here? And he says, well, he says, I've just been out of a 28-day treatment center. And he says, uh, yeah, you might. I don't know. I, I only got drunk with him one time. And I says, i I, I got to tell you, I, <clears throat> we got in that argument. Remember that argument we got in? He says, yeah. He says, he says i got to tell you something. He says, I don't know nothing about sheep. <laughs> 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 so, 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 so that's... Right there in a nutshell, that's my life, you know, it's just, you know, I, uh, I, uh, you know, when I started drinking, I was having the time of my life, I thought that was the most fantastic thing that's ever happened. I could have a few drinks and I could feel normal. I could have a few drinks and I, I felt comfortable. And, and people from time to time would say, John, you've got to quit. You have got to quit or slow down. They, you know, they would tell you, they'd tell you, you learn, you got to learn how to drink right. And my golly, I tried to drink. I tried to drink right forever. You know, I would, I would, I would try weird stuff. You know, I'd drink like a. I'd have a glass of water, then a shot of whiskey, and then a glass of water, then a beer, then a, then a glass of water, then a beer and a shot of whiskey, and pretty quick to heck with the water. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I would do the things like eat the butter, you know, and that kind of stuff, and try to, yeah, just try to make, and then get sick and drink it anyway. It just, you know, the thing is, is that I. Every time I would, every time I would quit drinking or try to quit drinking, it seemed like I would just automatically. There's a little guy in the back of my head, and I just want to drink more. You know, it's kind of like going on a on a diet today. When I get ready to go on a diet today, the first thing I do is go out and eat a whole bunch of pie or something like that. You know, just get ready. And and, <laughs> and uh, but that's what I would do when I'd try to quit drinking. And and. and you know, at first we had a great time. I mean, it, there were some fantastic times. I mean, there was. Uh, we, we got a pretty good-sized ranch, and, and I, I used to go outside getting my helicopter and fly to work. I mean, uh, it, was a, it was a phenomenal time there. And I had bankers and lawyers flying me to Chicago and to Minneapolis and this kind of stuff. And, you know, I got to thinking I was pretty hot stuff. You know, I don't know if there's anybody else in this room that ever got to thinking like that. But <clears throat> the, the thing is, is that I had about 75 employees there for a while, and almost every one of them drank just like I did. You, you never wanted to hire one of them Al-Anons. They always made you look bad. You know, they'd go to work. And, and I, that might have had something to do with the rapid decline of our business. 
you know, after after a, a while doing that kind of stuff and, and old market changes and stuff, we, we went broke. And, uh, boy, then I got to drinking a lot, you know. I, I had met Cindy. I, I skipped a big part of my life. I used to play in a rock and roll band for about four or five years and has a little, you know, it's like I needed a career change from being a cowboy to being rock and roll in the late or mid-60s. And, and uh, uh, boy, that made my dad happy, I'll tell you. That, he, I got him excited. <laughs> and uh, I was playing in a dance one night, and Cindy got to looking at me. She said, you know, I, I got to watching her. I got to thinking, you know, I won't. I think I'm willing to go to any lengths to get it, too, you know. And, and uh, she was, uh, I don't know if you've ever been attacked by an Al-Anon. It's like you can't get rid of them. It's like a piece of gum or something. You just keep trying to get rid She kept showing up in my life just day after day after day, and finally we, we got to be pretty good buddies, and, and we got married, and you, and. We was in love. We absolutely just, and for the next 13, 14 years, we got to the places where we was wanting, you know. Um, we were just crazy about each other in the beginning, and we really got crazy towards the end. It was a tremendous, it was just a, it was a tremendous ride that we went on right before we got to you guys. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I would, uh, I would be out at the ranch, and we'd be, uh, we'd be working real hard, you know. And the trouble is with the ranch that we in close to town. That's, you know, that was the trouble. I was too close to town because I'd have to drive into town to pick up parts every day about noon. And I'd forget to come back. And, and, and then uh, the next night, or that night when I'd show up, direct, you know, and she'd say, you know, if you just kind of call me. If you just call me and let me know what's going on. And, and I did that once. You know, I, I said, yeah, I'm at the northern and, and you know, me, 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 me. It's like <clears throat> I, I, uh, I had a tendency just to. I I have a tendency to disappear for several days at a time, and I I can remember uh, um, just, you know, absolutely just trying to get her to go with me, you know, come on, let's go. And and so she would come with me a little bit, and she was always in charge of fun, and we'd be drinking, and uh, she'd say, well, let's go eat. We don't want to go eat. I mean, why would you you go eat and waste a $100 drunk on a $5 meal, you know, and... (laughs) And she would be mad about that, so I didn't like to call her and didn't like to take her with me. And uh, we got crazier and crazier, and, and we finally got to the place where she would, she would drive me home at night, try to kill me. And she would leave me outside, and I'd be out there sleeping in the back seat because she's my designated driver long before we, that was becoming popular. And, and uh, she'd just leave me out there and hope that I'd freeze to death, be 40 below out there. She'd slip out, be real quiet, slip out, go into her bed, go to sleep. Um, I wake up, I'd be just freezing my rear end off, you know, just, and I come in there and it never even dawned on me she's trying to kill me until later on she started telling that story, a hideous story. And, and I can, uh, you know, I can remember times that uh, I'd come home and, and I'd, I was hanging up my coat one time. We kind of had this mudroom and I'd hang up this coat and, and I, I was up like this and I was kind of wobbly anyway because I'd had ink and she come out of this closet with a baseball bat and hit me right in the gut like that, bent me over, and then come up like that and knock me down. And she's not that big if you look at her. You know, she's not that big. She got me down and started dancing on me. And, and I, got, I got tickled. This, I did the wrong thing. I started laughing. <laughs> and and you, don't wanna, you don't wanna be laughing at a mad Allen on, I'll tell you what. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I. I just got where I just got plumb out of hand. I, and she'd move back in. It was like, you know, I'd try to get rid of her. I'd try to, I'm going to take her to her mother's house, and that's it. We're done anymore. 
and I'd take her in there and I'd drive. We'd have these glad bags and I'd just fill them full of her clothes. Get to the house, take her to her mother's house, and that's it. We're done. And then a couple of days later, it dawns on me I can't live without her. So I have to go back and get her, and we'd come back in the Samsonite. We'd have the Samsonite. And this guy that I sponsored a few years later, he says, he says, you entertained us all that year. He says, we could always tell which way you was going, whether you was coming or going, because if it was glad bags, we knew that she was coming back to her mother's house, and if it was Samsonite, it was the ranch. And uh, he says, you, you guys were absolutely, we'd just sit there, and they were sitting across the street, it was going to be. And, uh, uh, you know, but little by little, the thing, you know, those kind of things are, are things that happen that you kind of remember, but the thing that I really, I really remember what was going on inside, and inside it was like I was dying a chunk at a time. It was like I was just dying a piece at a time. I, you know, I, I had gotten to the place where my word was no good, my, uh, my, my integrity was completely shot. I had absolutely no to go on. I'd gotten to a place where I, I felt like. Uh, my, well, my self-esteem is just shot. It's like I knew that I was a loser and I could do. It's like I, I had been trying to quit drinking for quite a few years by the time I got to Anonymous. And, and I quit every stinking morning. Every day I would quit. I would, I would wake up and I'd say to myself, I'm never going to do this ever again. Never again. And by noon I'd be doing it again. And it's funny how that works, you know. It's like you're just really locked into the idea of not drinking again by 6 7 o'clock but then by about eight o'clock it's well i might drink in two years and by eight thirty, it's well i might drink at the end of the year and by nine o'clock well i might have a drink in six months. and by ten o'clock you know i probably ought to drink this weekend and by the time it gets to be 11 o'clock ah screw it you know i must and it wasn't like i had changed any real serious commitment it's just like i would changed my mind and i just did that Day after day after day, and uh, I don't ever remember quitting very long. I, the lo- Cindy would, had been moved out. This is when the, that last year, it's hard to remember whether she is at home or not, but that, this particular time she was moved out, and it was during harvest time. And I, uh, we'd always sold an after har- harvest party, and we'd have these great big old horse troughs full of ice and booze. I mean, we had, we'd buy hundreds and hundreds of dollars of booze and put it in there, and then we'd invite all the neighbors and all the harvesters over and drink. And I'd been on about a three, four-day run, and I was, I had, I was, I would get really sick inside that I was going to quit forever. These guys were all drinking, and, and I was, you know, I was kind of the host of the party, but I wasn't drinking because I'd quit forever again. And, and after, the, after the party was over, I had, oh, we had 12, 13 different houses around that. I told all the hired people, I says, take whatever you want. Take everything you want. Just get it out of here. I'm not going to take any home. And, and that's the longest I ever remember quitting drinking forever. It was three days. And by the end of the third day, I'm pounding on their houses and, you know, give me back my booze. <laughs> and, and them that would give it back to me was fine. And the, the ones that wouldn't, I just, you know, I'd say, well, at least we ought to sit down and talk about it and drink a few. And, uh, uh, you know, I got almost all of it back or a lot of it back anyway. That's the longest I ever remember quitting before I got to Anonymous. And there was a guy come over to my house. His name was Frank, and Frank was a salesman. And uh, this is, uh, you know, this is this is one of the times Cindy was home. This is about six months before I got sober. And Cindy was home at this time because at that time, she had uh, she had a job. She, in fact, is she had three jobs in town. Now, 
I didn't realize that I was married to a, a, like a black belt Al-Anon or two black belt Al-Anon. And, and this is one of those periods of time in Billings where it's really a, a kind of a recession going on. And, and she and I got into this big fight, and she says, well, I'm going to go into town, and I'm going to get myself a job. And I started laughing at her, which is, a, you know, it's a bad mistake to be laughing at her. And, and the next thing you know, I, uh, I says, you know, Cindy, I got friends at the keg bar that have been looking for a job for well over a year now. I don't know how in the heck you're going to find a job. And, and, you know, she went into town that day, and she came back with three jobs and worked every one of them. It was an amazing process. I never, I never thought she could do that. And I, I uh, can remember this day that Frank come over, and Cindy was at working one of these three jobs. And I was really glad to see him because it was about noon, and I asked Frank. I said, well, let's have a drink, Frank. And Frank says, no. He says, I'm not drinking today. And I said, well, come on, Frank, have a drink. You know, he says, no, I'm not drinking today. And, and after a long interrogation period, he finally told me why he wasn't drinking. He says, well, I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can remember thinking, Alcoholics Anonymous? My God, Frank, you've overcorrected a little bit, don't you think? <laughs> and he says, no. He says, I, I, I don't. He says, I, I think I really need it. He says, I've, I've had some really tough problems. He says, I'm going through a divorce and things. And he says, I says, well, Frank, you drink just like I do. And Frank goes, yeah, I, I know. And, and, and uh, uh <laughs> I said, well, you know, I've been thinking about doing stupid when it came. And I, for some reason, I was stupid when it came. To, I, I had never, I didn't know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. I, I mean, I kind of, this, my secret weapon was telling me what it was. It's a place where you learn how to go and drink sociably. That's what, I mean, obviously. I mean, that's why they call it Alcoholics Anonymous. Because you can go in there and drink and nobody knows that you're in there drinking. And, 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 and I, can, I can remember telling Frank, well, you know, I, I, think I, I think I'd like to go. Would you take me? He says, oh, no. No, I'm not going to take you to Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, well, why not? He says, because you're drinking. And I said, well, um, you know, I, and I didn't know. I, I've had people come up to me later and say, well, that's the wrong thing. He shouldn't have, well, that's what he said, you know. And, and, I can, and I can remember thinking that next morning, you know, my God, I can't believe this. I almost, this drinking's getting out of hand. I almost went to Alcoholics Anonymous last night. And, and what I didn't remember for the longest time is that Frank had told me, he says, now, if you want to quit drinking tomorrow, you give me a call and I'll be glad to take you to a meeting. But I'm not going to take you to a meeting when you're drinking. And so about six months go by, and I wake up in the basement of a house. And there's a friend of mine that I'd been drinking with quite a little bit. And, and I'd been on a runner from about Thanksgiving, and this is December 19th. And I can remember waking up, and it's like, you know how we wake up just, you know, just full of, just absolutely terrified. And I, and I, it's just, I always hated that feeling because you had to put all the pieces together. And I hate that idea of having to go ask somebody about what it is that you did the night or the day or the week before, and you don't know, and you got to ask them in such a way that they don't know that you don't know. That's hard living. I mean, and, and I can remember, I can remember going upstairs to this, and I, I'd lost my pickup. Somebody, somebody would always steal my pickup along about the third or fourth day of drinking, it seemed like. And uh, we, we started to go look for this pickup, and I, <clears throat> I, I told this guy, this guy's name was Johnny, and I said, Johnny, you know, I, I tell you what, I don't think I can do this much more. I, I've got to quit. I've got to quit drinking somehow. Let's go see Frank. Frank's going to that A&A, and maybe he can show us how to quit drinking. And, and uh, we'd been, like I said, we'd been drinking for quite a few days, and so we got us a six-pack or a piece of we was drinking that, drove over to Frank's feed store, and uh, 
started talking to Frank about maybe going to Alcoholics Anonymous. He was excited to see us. He was so happy. He had these 20 questions, you know, these 20 questions. Uh, you've seen them, and, you know, nobody can pass the test, you know. And, and he was giving us this test. Now, I've got to tell you, I've had these Al-Anons come over, seen these Al-Anonians, they'll come over, and they, they can pass the test. But I have never seen a good alcoholic pass that test yet. And... <clears throat> And uh, he says, here, take this test. You and Johnny take this test and, and see what you think. Well, we, you know, I cheated and still failed miserably. You know, it's, it's one of those that if you answer one wrong, you might be. If it's two, you probably are. Three, you're screwed. And, and I, I can remember, uh, you know, like 18 or 19 out of 20 questions, I cheated. And, and, and Johnny couldn't pass. And so I said to Frank, I said, Frank, would you take Johnny and I to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? We really want to quit drinking. He says, no, I won't do that. I said, why not, Frank? He said, well, you guys are drinking. Look at here. You both got a six-pack, and you've already finished half of it. He says, go ahead and drink today. He says, drink the rest of the day. And that didn't sound like a real bad idea at the time. So, so he says, but in the morning, he says, don't drink anymore. And if you don't, I'll take you to a meeting tomorrow night. And I always want to remember that last day that I drank, that wonderful last day. You know, sometimes like sometimes we get that euphoric recall about how great it was. You know, that last day was really great. I sat over in the corner of the keg bar, and I cried because I was so alone and lonely. And you'd come over and you'd say, "John, what's going on?" And I'd try because I didn't want to be bothered. And then you would leave, and I'd sit over there and I'd cry because I was alone and lonely. And then somebody else would come over and I'd try to fight him because I didn't want to be bothered. And that's pretty much the, my last good day of drinking. You know, it's just miserable. Cindy was working at one of those three jobs, and she had begged me to behave myself on this particular night because she had a Christmas party that she was going to go to. And I had promised her that I wouldn't, just like I always do. I wouldn't embarrass her. I wouldn't. And the next thing you know, I'm on the phone to Cindy, and I'm saying, Cindy, I think it's probably going to be to our best interest if I don't show up because I am slightly intoxicated. And... You know, and I said, now, wait a minute, Cindy. i got to tell you something. I'm going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous tomorrow. And she says, well, good for you. <laughs> you know, she, was, she was not very excited about it. And, and uh, you know, the next, day, the next day I went into town and I, I was asked to, to meet uh, Frank and a friend of his at this restaurant across the street from the place that held and they had these uh, little dinner sticks that they, they had ordered, and they ordered me one. And I, I'll tell you, I am nervous, I am rocking, and I'm rolling, and I'm sweating, and I'm not hungry, and I don't want to eat. And, and they sit there, and they're laughing and joking and having a good time, and it's like they're picking on me. You know, I don't know if there's any other sensitive alcoholics in here, but I was a sensitive alcoholic. And they're just joking and laughing, and, and old Frank asked, he says, Johnny, or Johnny says, I've got to tell you something. This is my sponsor, Richard, and he's a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's helped me out a lot. And Richard asked me this question. It's a trick question. I knew it was. He says, uh, Johnny, he says, I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like you're responsible for your own actions? Now, I know this is an elite group of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been trying to get into it for over six months now, you know. And, and I, can, I can remember it's just like my mind was like a Rolodex, and I can remember finally going, yes, I, I, believe, I, I believe that I am responsible for my own. And he said the darndest thing to me. He says, good. And I thought, how does he know? And I thought, you know, I think, how, I think I know how he knows. He's been talking to Frank. Frank's been talking to Cindy. And, it's, you know, and I always had these conspiracies. You know, it's just constant conspiracies going on in my head all the time. And, and, but, but what happened was during the course of that meal, Richard started talking to me about his drinking. 
And he started to tell me about how it was for him. And he started to say things to me that he knew that I had told nobody. He talked to me about the guilt. And he talked to me about the, the not being able to just simply be human, you know. And he started talking to me about things that I, that I never even, I, I, I didn't even know they existed, but I knew what he was talking about. I understood that, uh, you know, as they talk about the language of the heart. And, and it was, a, and it was a, such an amazing process for me. And we went across that, the road there to that meeting place that night. And there was another gal there. It was her first night. And, it was my, I can, I, and, and, you know, I don't remember what the topic was. I don't remember who chaired. I don't really remember many people who were there. But I remember, I remember feeling when I came out of there. It wasn't like I felt like I was at home or nothing like that. But what I felt was I felt like there was a little bit of hope. I thought, you know, these guys might. There might be somebody here that really helped me. You know, and I'd been to doctors and I'd been to, you know, I'd been, you know, lawyers and priests. And, I mean, I'd tried everything that I could think of to try to get my head screwed on. Right? And uh, nothing was working. And I, and I, first night, there's this guy named Johnny. And Johnny says, John, I'm going to be your sponsor. And, and, you know, I kind of figured out what this deal was, you know, with a name like Alcoholics Anonymous and, and with these 20 questions that nobody can answer, it was obvious <laughs> that you guys needed some new blood because you were failing and the name alone would keep people away and I and I can remember thinking you know uh, I bet you they're going to want at least fifty dollars to a hundred a month just for dues and fees and 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 when he said he was going to be my sponsor I said and that's where it's going to go right there it's going to go to him and but I was just sick enough that I was willing to listen to him he says I'll tell you what I want you to do I want you to follow me to my house and we're going to go to my house, and we're going to stay there for a while, and I'm going to tell us. And Johnny took me to his house, and we sat down, and he opened the big book of alcoholics, and he started to share with me his experience, strength, and hope. And his wife came out, and he told me about how they had gone through this insanity, and, and the kids came out, and they said that Dad was better now, and it was, it was just sickening, you know. And, <laughs> and, and I, can remember, I can remember it was at 2 o'clock, and he says, okay, it's 2 o'clock. And then 2 o'clock in Billings, the bar is closed, and he says, it's time for you to go home now. So I got in my car and I drove home. And he he called me up the next morning and says, "I want you to come in." So I came. He had an auctioneer place, and I came in there. And pretty quick, two guys from the group showed up, and they stayed with me for a couple of hours. And then after that, two more guys from the group showed up, and we went and ate. And after that, there's two more guys that showed up, and we went to the meeting. And then after the meeting, Johnny says, "Come to my house," and I went to his house, and we talked there until two o'clock. He told me to go home, and I go home. And the next morning, we'd repeat the same process. And I was nervous and sick, and they made this orange juice and K-roll syrup and honey, make put it in a blender, a handful of vitamins. I don't know what the vitamins were. We've lost that over the years. And and uh, he's, they'd say, "Drink this and make you feel better," and it didn't. It, but uh, but I, I'll tell you what I did. I started acting better than I felt right off the bat. I still, I'd tell him, yeah, I feel better. I, I No, thank you. I don't want no more. And, uh, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a magical time. It really was because I, little by little, day after day, I wasn't drinking. It was an amazing deal. I wasn't drinking. And I passed my three-day mark. I was amazed. And, and not only did I pass it, but I, I mean, these guys told me that they drank like I drank. And these guys were living a good, comfortable life. Now, I know that these guys were lying. Some of them were lying. They had to be. I mean, can you believe? There was people in that room that had 15, 20 years. One of them had 26. Got to be lying. Why would you do that to yourself? You know? 
But there's a guy sitting next to me. His name was Tim. And I asked Tim how long he'd been there. By God, he looked like he'd been there two weeks, you know. And I thought, man, if he can make it for two weeks, maybe I can. It was the new people that I could identify with it, that I could see that, you know, maybe this thing, maybe this thing, those old guys, I mean, come on. But Tim, (laughs) Tim bought the deal, you know. And so I thought if he can do it, I can. It was an amazing, it was an amazing time. About three weeks, my sponsor started getting weird. I mean, really weird. I'm not, I don't mean, I mean really weird. He'd call you up in the middle of the night and say, John, you better get in here. They're in my closet, and they're going to get out of here in a minute, and I'm going to be in trouble, and you better get in here because it's death. And he'd hang up. You know? <laughs> and I may have been new, but I wasn't crazy. I'm not, I'm not going to go in there with that kind of going on. Next night, he'd call up and say, John, you've got, you got to get in here. They're out there. They're out there, in the, and they're going to come in here in a minute, and they're going to get me. You've got to get in here and help me out. And about that time, somebody else that he was sponsoring would call and say, you talked to Johnny tonight? <laughs> I said, yeah. You know, <laughs> he's a little twisted tonight, ain't he? Yeah, he's, he sure is. And, and then Johnny, and this is before uh, call waiting or caller ID. And, you know, of course, my line would be busy and I'd hang up. The phone would ring and it'd be Johnny. Who you been talking to? Who you been talking to? <laughs> it, was, it was a spooky time. And I was about a month sober. About, about 45 days into my sobriety, Johnny went out. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I... Uh, uh, he always, it always kind of registered on me. It, you know, it's like he had seven years. He had seven years of sobriety, and it's like it evaporated. He just went away. And it really taught me something. I mean, it taught me that sobriety was important, but by God, you gotta be, this is a cunning, baffling, powerful deal. And within a few minutes, it dawned on me what I needed to do. You see, I, I knew that I had the opportunity now to find a new sponsor, and there's this little blonde I've been watching for the last few days. And I thought, you know, she's got what I want, and I think, uh, I think I'll go ask her to be my sponsor. And I can remember walking across that room that, that, that night, and Richard came out of no place. And he says, Johnny, he says, uh, your sponsor's gone out. He says, I'm going to be your sponsor now. <laughs> I can remember thinking, well, now, Richard, I, I'm not sure if I want you to be my sponsor or not. And he says, no, no, no. I said, I didn't ask you. He said, I didn't ask you whether or not you wanted me to. And uh, he always knew what I wanted. He, he, he was a used car salesman. About two weeks later, he sold me this diesel car. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, because it was what I wanted. And, and uh, you know, it's funny how at first, when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous, the first, oh, two or three, maybe, yeah, about three months, it's like there was always an answer to what I was eating. There was always, an, there was always somebody there with an answer. But the secret weapon started working. The ego started reviving itself, and in a short period of time, I could see the flaws in a lot of people. It's like, uh, I don't know if you guys have that ability, but I could, I could just... I, it wasn't like I was really judgmental. I mean, it's like it's the truth, you know. And and you could you could see that a lot of these guys, the walk that they were they're talking about walking, they weren't even hitting it, you know, not even close. And I mean, I could see this in probably about three months. And uh, there's this guy named Nick. Nick was a little short. Everybody thought Nick was just wonderful. I didn't think Nick was wonderful because always is. He seemed like he's one of those. There's two guys in that group that always seem like they're pointing their finger at you. You know what I mean? And Nick would sit there and say, there's no need for me to remember your name unless you've been here for over six months to a year because you're just a visitor. And I thought that was pretty rude of Nick. I, you know, and uh, Nick was the kind of guy that me and Frank would be talking about our wives, about how we were going to get this divorce and how much we hated them. And, and Nick would come up behind us and say, well, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. You know, and uh, I mean, you know, you guys, you know, that ain't no way to treat a new guy. And, and, and and then, and then there's this guy called Rotten Ralph, and Rotten Ralph is his attorney, and he earned the name. I'm guarantee. I tell you, he 
he was terrible. He, he, you know, if, if they called him, say, a new guy that was maybe having troubles with his wife at home and got to talking a little too or something, they'd call him Nick next because he'd kind of sweep it up, you know, and, and Nick would just, just hammer you, you know, and you, and, and you knew he was talking to you, and he knew he was getting beat up. And after he got through talking, he'd always keep his dollar for the collection plate in his pocket, and he'd say, now, if I have said something that really offended you, let me be the first to buy you this drink, you know. And it's like, I know that's no way to treat a new person, you know. That's not right. And uh, then there was this guy named uh, Gerald. And Gerald thought, that, I don't know where he got this, but he thought about that time that maybe I was having a poor attitude. And uh, he'd, he'd ask me how I was doing. He'd be at the door kind of shaking hands, and he'd ask me how I was doing. And I said, well, I... I I don't like most of the people in this group, and I don't like my wife, and I ain't, I'm not getting any place with God. I said, life sucks. He says, you'll quit that. That's enough of that. He said, from now on, John, when I come up to you and I shake your hand, you're going to say, Gerald, I'm getting better in every way every day. Thank you very much. Now, Gerald's got me lying right off the bat, you know. They're talking about what an honesty program this is. He's got me lying. There's a little gal named Millie. And Millie was like grandmotherly type, just syrupy woman, you know. She'd sit over there and she'd say, John, just look at all the miracles. And I didn't, I, I, I didn't see, I just, could, I could not see what she was talking about. She, said, she says, maybe you'll stay here long enough. One of these days you'll be able to see some miracles. He's been here too long too, you know. And, and then there's this Margaret, and Margaret was, ah, Margaret, I mean, it's like you're sitting there in a meeting and, it's been a long day, and then they call on somebody like Margaret. And Margaret, it's like, this is time to go into a coma, you know. <laughs> Margaret, Margaret would say, my name is Margaret, and I'm an alcoholic. And them that go to meet and stay sober, and them that don't, don't. Thank you. You call Margaret six months from now, and she'd say, my name is Margaret, and I'm an alcoholic, and them that go to meetings stay sober, and them that don't, don't. Thank you. Why do they even call her? You know, she's going to say the same thing over and over again. Doesn't, I mean, you know, too bad she doesn't have some kind of a message or something, you know. And, and uh, <clears throat> I, got this, I got this Richard now. He's sponsoring me, and Richard always knows what I want. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm talking to Richard one night, and, you know, him and Frank, he's sponsoring Frank. And him and Frank, I know they're talking all the time to Cindy. And uh, Cindy and I are not even talking. I mean, we've been trying to kill each other for about a year. And, and uh, I hate her and she hates me. And the only reason, the only reason we're still together is because we, we're both these egomaniacs. You know, it's like whoever blinks first loses. And we're not quitting. You know, it's like, you know, it's just that kind of a deal. And, and uh, I mean, it's just insane. I mean, I don't know why we did that, but we did. And, and uh, Richard says, uh, How's your relationship with your wife? <laughs> That's a loaded question. I know it. You know, I say, well, Richard, I'm getting a divorce. He says, now let me understand this. Let me get this straight. Are you the one who's getting the divorce? I says, yeah, I'm getting a divorce. He says, well, you'll quit that right now. I said, why? He says, I says, I'm married to a crazy woman. And, and tomorrow she'll tell you how, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> and... and uh, I said, I said, I said, he says, sure, she's crazy. He says, anybody who's been married to you for 13 years has got to be completely out of her mind, just completely out of her mind. And I, and I said, uh, you know, listen, uh, I, I, uh, 
I really think I need this divorce. And he says, no, you're going to quit it. He says, fact is, you don't, ha- you don't know how to have a relationship. And so from now on, we're going to practice on her just because she's there. And he says, and what you're going to start doing is you're going to treat her with kindness and respect. You're not going to get into any meaningful conversations with her. Now, that was pretty easy because we wasn't talking anyway. And, 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 and he says, what you're going to start doing is you're going to start treating her like you love her. But you're going to start telling her you love her. There they go again, making you lie, because I didn't love her. And he says, you're going to start telling her that you love her. And he, and he says, but because she knows, and because I know, and because you are probably going to know, you're a liar, he says, you're going to have to show her that you love her in certain ways. And, I, and of course, I, <laughs> you know, I started thinking about things that I shouldn't think about. And he says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. He says, for you, John, he says, you're going to have to start cleaning up your messes. He says, for you, you need to fix supper every once in a while. For you, you need to make the bed up every once in a while. You need to take her out to supper every once in a while. You need to kill her with kindness. I told him, I'm not going to do it. I'm not interested in doing that. That sounds like stupid stuff. He says, no, no. He says, I'm going to tell you something. If you do it, and you do it well, it will drive her crazy. (laughs) All right, I'll do it. And he was right, it did. It just drove her completely bonkers. <laughs> See, one time I remember her coming up to me and she says, you're a dirty rotten SLB. And she had kind of had this list. You know, she was into doing inventories about the same time I was, except it was a different deal, you know. And, and, and I said, I, I can remember I had, I had my inventory I'd been working on. And I says, well, wait a minute, Cindy, you left out some things. And I, I went through a couple of deals that she'd missed. And I can remember that look on her face. It was, it was just, you know, she didn't know what to find. <laughs> <laughs> walked off in the other room and I go, yes! It's like I finally scored one. <clears throat> but anyway, one night I got to thinking, you know, I'm going to get this Nick. I'm going to get this Nick. I'm going to get him where he, he knows my name. And I can remember after the meeting, you know, there's a few people. I remember asking Nick, I said, Nick, I have a moment of your time. And, uh, you know, in my best newcomer voice that I could possibly, my humble newcomer voice, and he says, sure, John. He says, sit down on the couch. And I sat down on the couch, and I, I started telling him about what a rotten, no-good wife I had. And he stands up, and, and he yells at me. Now, I'm new, and maybe this, you know, what happened and what I think happened is probably totally different. But he yells at me, and he says, so you're an alcoholic. He says, I want to know what you're going to do about it. I don't care about your wife. I want to know what you're going to do about being an alcoholic. And, and I was so embarrassed. I mean, there's eight or nine people around the room, and it's like, God, this old guy's yelling at me. It's like, I, I, that's it. I'm quitting. I am quitting Alcoholics Anonymous forever. I'm through with this crap. And I can remember walking, and this guy's a little old crippled guy, you know, and I remember walking to the door trying to get out, and somehow he beats me to the door and pushes me up against the refrigerator and says, listen, you're wasting my time, you're wasting their time, and you're damn sure wasting your time. He says, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to get drunk. And if you don't straighten up right now, you're probably going to do that. And Rotten Ralph, out of no place, comes out of, over the top of him with a dollar. Let me buy your first drink. Let me buy your first drink. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, my God, these guys are crazy, you know. And, and uh, I'm going to get out of it. And I remember, I just remember storming out of that meeting place. And I go in and get, get in my diesel car. And there's a gravel parking lot. And I was going to spin gravel. And, mm. 
and I'm yelling at the top. I don't want you to think I was immature or anything, but I was yelling at the top of my lungs, and I'm beating on the dash, and I'm honking the horn driving. The nice thing about it is I had a long ways to drive home. I had, once I got out in the country, I still had a long ways to drive, and, and I was like, Geez, I hate them guys. Them guys are crazy. You know, they, you know, love and tolerances are cold, but they all miss that part, you know, and it's just craziness, you know, and my mind is just, I had the mind of a newcomer, you know, my thought process is about two seconds, you know, I'm, you know, I was, they told me things like, you're, you're absolutely full of fear. And I said, I am not full of fear. I don't know what they're talking about. I'm full of fear. And later on, I began to understand what they meant. You know, I was, I was afraid that Cindy was going to leave me. And then, then I really got afraid that she's going to stay. You know, and then I got afraid that Alcoholics Anonymous wouldn't work for me. And then I got terrified that AA would work for me. You know, if you admit you're a real alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous has a real answer for you. You know, I don't know. That means it sounded to me like Alcoholics Anonymous didn't teach you how to drink. It sounded to me like you didn't drink at all for the rest of your life, one day at a time. But you know what that means. You know, it means forever. And, and uh, I, I just, I just couldn't. I just couldn't take it all. It was just too much. And I can remember driving home just going crazy. You know, you know these guys, are, they say one thing and they do another. And it's like just driving me nuts. And it's like somebody just, just slapped me. And all of a sudden, I, it's like all I could hear, just as clear as a bell, Nick saying, if you don't, if you don't get a hold of this thing, you're going to end up drinking again. And I can remember it's like, it's like a spiritual experience. It's like all of a sudden... I began to really realize that this is the only game in town for a guy like me. And I can remember that next day, I can remember getting back in my car, and I didn't want to do this. I didn't, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to get in the car and drive back into town. And, you know, I can remember I'd, I'd have to walk through that door, and Gerald would be at the door, and I'd have to shake Gerald's hand, and Gerald would say, John, how's it going? And I'd have to say, why, Gerald is getting better in every way every day. Thank you very much. You know, and it just, like that, it just hit me. You know, I believe I am. I believe I am. I, I believe I might be getting a little better in every way every day. And I can remember thinking, God, I don't want to go back to Ralph. I'll have to give him his back his dollar, you know. <laughs> and I'll have to reintroduce myself to Nick again, you know. But it's like, all of a sudden, my perception of those people and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous begin to change. And, and it's like... I was beginning to hear what they were saying. You know, um, my sponsor, Richard, he said that the, you know, the doctor's opinion, it says that uh, we get irritable, restless, and discontent unless we can feel that sense of ease and drinks. And somehow Richard began to convey to me that my problem really wasn't drinking as much as it was the thinking part. You know, it's like somehow I've got to get to the place where I can be comfortable in my own skin and I can live... I can live in my own world without having to go crazy all the time. And that's what I was doing. I would work myself up into such a frenzy that I would have to drink. I had that old thought behavior that we that talks about in, in, in the book about, you know, Jim's story. I mean, I just love Jim's story about how he talks about, you know, here he's mixing his whiskey with his milk. I love that one of the best lines in the book says, I wasn't being any too smart, you know. I can I can relate to Jim when he talks about that. But he was he wasn't doing well, you know. He'd he'd been fired from this place that he used to own, or he'd lost the place that he used to own, and he was out there selling. It's just 
that's what was happening to me. It's like I, I, I didn't realize it, but my main problem, my problem with alcoholism was not the drinking part, it's the thinking part. The thinking part, the hard part. The drinking part was fairly easy. Within a few days after I was in AA, it's like the craving for alcohol had pretty well gone. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was, you, you get those darts, you know, your little thoughts, you know, like a cold beer would be good, something like that. Rarely have I seen it that, that I... Uh, real craving, and I have, but I mean, rarely will that happen. It's been a long, long. You know, I. Uh, it talks about in the doctor's opinion about this allergy that we have, obsession, and and I had a hard time with the allergy part for the longest time. But <clears throat> I'm a, well, I'm allergic to apples, bananas, cherries, and avocados. And when I take a bite of an apple or a banana, my chest swells shut, my my neck swells shut, and I can't breathe. And, oh, by the way, I thank the committee for the fruit basket. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I thought maybe that was a subliminal message, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but but I can't breathe, and and uh, and uh, I told Richard about that, and I said I don't understand how you can sit there in that book and you can talk about this allergy, and 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 it doesn't. Aff- you know I know a little bit about allergies, and he says, well, look at it this way, John. He says it makes you break out in spots like Chicago and Denver, Detroit, you know, Salt Lake City, and places like that. And oh, okay, I got it. And uh, you know, it, it was a, it was an amazing process to 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 begin to go through that book and to understand what they're talking about. Uh, you know, this this deal about about. Uh, not my, my mind went away. Allergies, thank you. I better have a drink. <laughs> yeah, could I could I have another banana? Maybe that's what I ought to do. Is just eat a banana. I have no idea where my mind just went. I'll come back here in a minute, I guess. Anyway, uh, you know the, the second step says come to believe, and I can't. Uh, I I just you know. I began to believe that Alcoholics Anonymous worked for you. I didn't really, I didn't really, I, I knew that there was a God. I knew there was a God because there was too many people who believed in God. But I had been going, uh, we used to go to Bible studies and we, we, oh, we got wild about that. You know, alcoholics, alcoholics are 110% of screw it people, one or the other, you know. So I'm 110%. We're going to churches. I mean, we're talking in tongues. We're getting slayed in the spirit. I mean, we're doing the whole nine yards and it's like nothing, you know. And, and, I, and I began to realize that what was happening is that God worked for certain people, but for certain people he didn't. And I was one, I was one that he didn't. I believed in God. But I believe that God did not work for me, and and I can, uh, I can, I can just re- just like yesterday, it's like people would talk. But I tell you what happened over a period of time: new people would come in, and I would see how it was working in their lives. I would see people who were really broken. You know how we get these guys that everyone come in and they're just broken, and in a few weeks they're standing up straight, they're acting, they're beginning to be citizens again, and they're. Their lives turn on them, and they, they start their families return, and their wives return, and their kids are. I mean, you can't sit there. And little by little, I began to myself. At first, it was my sponsor or my group, and then it was my. And then little by little, I was able to. But it's it's been a process, and it wasn't like I didn't want it to happen. I wanted it to happen, but I. Didn't. 
And little by little, because of the actions of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and meetings and seeing it happen right in front of me all the time, it's like I came to believe and a power greater than myself that sanity. And the sanity that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about is a thought process prior to taking the first drink. Somehow, I've got to be able to combat that idea that uh, when it comes into my head, whether, that, I, that I can get away like that, you know. Uh, it talks about how our only defense comes, has to come from a power you know, I don't know how to do that. It's like we're fighters. We're, we're, we're fighters. And for us to fight, we have to be in shape. But we're not like the boxers you see on TV. They know what the date is. We don't know, we don't know when the date is. The be tomorrow. It may be tonight for some of us. It may be six years for some of us. And so somehow I've got to try to be able to stay in fit spiritual shape as this program of recovery as anonymous and the way that i do that the way that i've been taught to do to be sponsored to to work go through the book with my what am i i've had five sponsors four of them are dead i'm tough on sponsors i've only had five sponsors one at a time okay this last guy i asked him to be my sponsor he says my god scott you're a carrier he says i don't think i want to sponsor you and I, said, I don't blame you but he took the job so i'm, I'm glad he did but they have, all been, they have all been under the impression that Alcoholics Anonymous was a... And, and I can remember one time, my, my Richard, my sponsor Richard, you know, I'm a farmer, and I come in there one night. And I was, I'd been working on a tractor, and I was greasy. I had my hat on, I was greasy. I had my, and, and we'd always sit, and I went to sit next to him, and I was dirty. And he said, get away from me. He says, get over there. He says, get away from me. Somebody might think I know you. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I knew what was going on. I was afraid of it anyway. And he says, you and me after the meeting, which I didn't. That always was a bad deal. Because we'd have, today I call them daddy talks, but they just go on forever. You know, you sit there and your eyes roll back in your head and he's still explaining it to you. And, and I can remember after the meeting, I went over there and he says, listen. He says, this thing has saved my life. He says, if you're lucky, it'll save your life. If you participate in your own recovery, it'll save your life. One of your problems that you have is you have absolutely no respect for hardly anything. He says, we're going to start right now with something. You're going to start respecting the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You will not come to this meeting dressed like that ever again. And I said, well, I, maybe I didn't have time to change clothes. And he says, well, then don't come. He says, if you can't figure out how to find some nice clothes and put it in your pickup before you get to the meeting, he says, you probably ain't going to make it anyway. He says, so just don't come. He says, I want you to learn something. I want you to realize that we don't need you. You need us. Now, he might have been stretching it just a little bit, but that's why I got the point, you know. <laughs> I got, yes, sir. And, uh, you know, and that's, and that's another thing that I think that's been really fortunate for me is I have, I have never tried to buck my sponsors. I mean, sometimes they've been really, really wrong, but I've never told them that. <laughs> and I've tried to do what they've asked me to do, and it's been, a, it's been an amazing process because I've never been hurt by that. I've never been hurt by that. And I'm very fortunate today. I sponsor a bunch of guys, and they're, they are a fantastic bunch of guys. And that, and that bunch of guys that just, just tips me over because they do so well, it seems like. And, and I tell you what, I always tell them, I said, I am so grateful that you're in my life, and my wife just loves you, because the longer that I work with these guys, the better that Cindy and I get. And uh, you, you never know what you're doing. You know, there, <laughs> I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and there was a sign up on the wall, and it says, nobody ever appreciates what I do until I quit, until I quit doing it. You know, And, and I, I think that's one of the things that, 
most of us really don't realize the impact that we make on other people. And I think we're almost, in my case, it's like you're almost afraid to think about it too much because it, it, if, if you're an alcoholic like I am, your ego will take off, and the next thing you know, you think you're somebody around here, which there's a lot of people here that just, once they spot that, they home in on you, goodness, and knock you down a notch or two because, <clears throat> because it seems like the worst thing in the world an, e- an egomaniac like me needs is somebody pat me on the back too much. But the truth of the matter is, is you look around and you look at some of the, you know, in this room here tonight who have been on the front lines of alcoholics for a long, long time doing really a lot of work for a lot of people. And they go, and they go unnoticed. And, and it's probably a good thing that they do go unnoticed. But you look at this thing, generation after generation, you know, showing them how it can be for them. You know, and I think that had a lot to do with me getting to the place where I was able to turn my way as I understood. And it was kind of like when I first got to the third step, it was kind of like a, a celestial joke, you know. It's like I was kind of, I didn't want to do it, I didn't want to do it, and then all of a sudden it's like I really wanted to do it. And I tried to turn my life over the will, carrying the will of God, and the next thing you know, it's like nothing happened. <laughs> it's like, you know, and uh, I was kind of bad at the, at the Northern Hotel I had, I had kind of a, a bad deal going on. The Northern Hotel, when I was drinking in the Northern, it was a flight of stairs upstairs to a bathroom or it was a flight of stairs downstairs to a bathroom. And so when I'd get drunk in the Northern Hotel, um, I would end up peeing in the flower pots in the main lobby. Now, somehow I got away with that. I never got thrown in jail over that or anything. But I remember when I went to Alcoholics Anonymous a few months later, I was so embarrassed. I can remember being so embarrassed about going to Alamos. And, uh, but yet two or three months earlier, I wasn't embarrassed about getting caught in the Northern Hotel going in a flower pot. You know, that shows you how my mind works. And, and so anyway, I'm, I'm at this point where I'm willing to turn my will and life over the care of God and nothing's happening. And I can remember Richard saying, well, what did you want, lightning or something? A burning bush, perhaps? And I said, yeah, it'd be nice if I had a burning bush or something. And he says, well, if you had a burning bush in front of you with your track record, you'd just pee on it, you know? <laughs> so, so, so uh, you know, but little by little, that all turned. And, and, uh, and we ended up going to the... The four-step inventory, I, I mean, I remember my four-step inventory, my first four-step, I put it on the back of a match cover. You know, it's in code. It's in really short, shorthand. And, and I, you know, he was always afraid that she'd figure it out or something. And I, I can remember I didn't want to go to my sponsor because I thought that he really knew too much about me already. And I just hated the idea of somebody knowing that much about me. So I went to this uh, preacher and I sat down there and I'm reading this match book in code, you know, and I'm trying to figure out what I'd wrote. And he says, uh, you got much more of that? And I said, well, a little bit. And he says, I got a golf game I got to go to here. And he says, <clears throat> he says, I'd like it if you hurried up because I'd probably take 20 minutes of his time. And, and uh, I said, fine. And for the next two years, I thought that I had done a fourth if step. And I, <laughs> I had not. I thought I had. I had not. And then I had, I got it. I, some of you guys might know Jim Schaffer for eight years, and, and uh, after, right after I got him, he said, I told him about that, he says, we will do an inventory. He says, you will have an inventory for me in two weeks, we'll meet in Salt Lake City, and we'll do it there. And I remember going to Salt Lake City, and we did, the, I'm sure most of you folks have done them, but if you haven't, you're missing. You need to just bite the bullet and do it. And, and there have been so many times that I've heard other people's inventories, and it's like, I can remember this one time, I, I was, this guy that I was sponsoring, 
he was giving me this inventory, and this guy was pathetic. I mean, he had, he had burned down his house and all kinds of strange things, you know. And, and I thought, what a derelict, you know. I can't believe how I'd be embarrassed if I... And then it dawned on me. I'd been trying to do that to my neighbor. I mean, it wasn't all my inventory. I'd been trying to burn down my neighbor's place for about four or five years. I'd, I'd drive by and try to start fires and stuff like that. And it's like, you do these little inventories with these other people, and all of a sudden, it, well, I better write that down, too. That's another one I've been missing. And, and, and uh, it's, it's just an amazing deal once you start doing this thing. And it's, the way this outfit works, it's uh, so blessed. We started a group a few years ago, or quite a few. It's been 20 years ago this December. And... Uh, uh, Cindy and I did, and it's just just been phenomenal. And one, you know, one of the things we belong, we believe in strong sponsorship, and and we believe in working the steps, and we we've, uh, we we go to all the, the the GSR meetings, and we do the jail meetings, and we do the psych wards, and we do the hospitals, and that's that. It's a real highly energy, high active group, and and uh, it's uh, just been a fantastic deal. And one night, uh, my daughter. Uh, She'd been acting really, really weird for a really long time. Now, Cindy'd say she's just growing up. She's, but, I mean, the doors were being caved in, the windows were being broke and stuff like that. And she'd been sneaking out every night for months and months and months. And, and uh, <clears throat> I, uh, we'd come home from a conference that weekend. It was an Al-Anon AA, Al-Anon, Alateen deal. And walked into the house, and I turned on the TV, and the girls went upstairs. And the next thing I know is there's knocking on the door, and there's, dirty-looking kids at the door wanting to know if Becky's around. And, uh, yeah, she's around, and she's in bed, and you get the heck out of here because it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. And I went upstairs to get a hold of Becky to find out who this little friend of hers is that's trying to find out if she's around. And, and she's asleep in bed, so I went to go there. She was gone. And, <clears throat> and uh, I couldn't figure out how she got out because I've got to, the only way out of the house. I'm sitting there watching TV. She can't get past me. And I got to look, and she, she's in the upstairs, and she had this chain ladder that she'd snuck out the window with, you know. And, and so I hauled the chain ladder back up. Two hours later, she shows up drunk out of her mind. And next thing you know, uh, I called my sponsor. Cindy calls her sponsor, and they said, well, <clears throat> she's wanting to go to AA, but heck, she can't be an alcoholic. And no way she could be an alcoholic. She's only like 14 years old. She hadn't drank enough to be an alcoholic. I mean... It's like the old story, I spilt more than you'll ever drink. And, and, uh, and Clancy says, uh, yeah, but what you don't know is the new guy sitting up there, you can't be much of an alcoholic if you lasted as long as you did, you know. And, and so anyway, my sponsor says, you take that go. And so we took her to a meeting and that's the same deal. You, know, you never know what you're doing. We don't know what we do. So I don't even know how long I've been talking, but I, I, I really want to thank you folks again for asking me to be here. And I'd like to, I'd like to end by just... Two little ideas that I've got. <clears throat> Number one, I think Millie is right. I've been fortunate enough to start seeing some miracles. And i got to tell you what, I've heard some of you guys' stories here this weekend. It's been a great weekend. I've, I've talked to a bunch of people. There are a lot of you people that I've talked to that really shouldn't drink, you know. <clears throat> well, some of you people need to stay away from corn, I can tell you that, too. And, <clears throat> and uh, it's, uh, it is. It's an honor and a privilege to be among you. It's an honor and a privilege to be sober, and not only being sober, but enjoying life. I believe that Alcoholics Anonymous is about having the time of my life. And I, and I got to tell you, if you're new here tonight, 
and you can't quite get the hang of the thing, let me tell you a little secret that I learned in AA quite a while ago. It goes like this. Them that go to meetings stay sober, and them that don't, don't. Thank you. <laughs> this is about 